Accepting somebody's apology and just being calm at them. So it's like when God doesn't be mad at you for um, doing something wrong when you tell him you did it and you ask him to not be mad at you. Like where someone like gives you another chance. Because if it's something that you really didn't want to happen, then that would be hard to forgive. You really don't want to do it, but Jesus wants you to. It makes you happy that you're done with it. It helps you start again with that person and not keep worrying about that same thing over and over again. Isn't that awesome? You can clap for that. You can clap for those kids. They've done such a great job as we've done a series of videos for this whole series we've been going through called Growing Up Again. And uh, today we're concluding the series that we began way back at the very beginning of the month of April. And we've been talking about growing up again. Aren't you glad that you grew up? You know, like... You know, all of us have grown in age, or some, for some of us, maturity. But I mean, who of us would like to have stayed a child our entire life? Or have liked to have stayed a teenager our entire life? For those of us who come of, came of age in the 80s, that's a very scary thought, because some of us looked like this up here. Okay? Kids of the 80s. Okay? We may have had stupid hair, but we didn't eat Tide Pods. Okay, now, I, I don't know about you, I think I might rather eat a Tide Pod than sport a mullet, you know, like, that's pretty bad, like, there's lots of things that are coming retro these days, I don't think the mullet is ever going to become retro, I don't think it's ever going to come back, but maybe we should bring it back, you know, maybe we should bring it back, can you, could you just imagine what uh, Site Pastor Troy Lather would look like with a mullet. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, hey, there it is. Oh, we don't, we don't have to imagine. There it is. Wow, I, how did we get that? I have no idea. So that's amazing what you can do with Photoshop these days. So, but yeah, what we're talking about, please take that off. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but we're talking about growing up. And, and each and every one of us, we have gone through a process, a progression of learning how to do certain skills and activities so that we have been able to be independent from our parents and we've been able to do those things that adults do. And so many of us have, but would be able to say that we've been able to grow up. But then there's this whole other category, this whole other aspect of growing up that has to do with us becoming the kind of people that God wants us to become. That all the negative behaviors and character flaws and destructive tendencies that are part of who we are today would somehow over time melt away or decrease. And that we become the kind of people that reflect the values and the priorities and the ideals of the kingdom of God. And in order to do that, we have to learn some very basic, fundamental behaviors and practices and postures as kingdom people. Have you ever wondered how 
you might know some people who they have uh, been a Christian all of their life. And their lives are still a mess. They're still, their relational world is still a wreck. And they are still maybe stuck doing the same things that they've been doing years and years ago, even though they've been Christians for almost decades. And then there are, there are other people who they come to know Jesus Christ and their life is a mess and their life is a wreck and they are headed for divorce or headed for jail or headed for, you know, some sort of addictive recovery, you know, group and they give their lives to Jesus Christ and after that happens, they begin to change in a radical and profound ways. Or it takes time, it takes time, but they really begin to change. And you look at that person and you are like, what is up with that? How did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. They intentionally engaged in some very specific, very, very definitive spiritual practices that allowed the kingdom to begin to penetrate and influence their character so that they became more like Jesus. And so we began the whole series talking about this foundational uh, practice of repentance that we need to begin by just owning our junk and understanding that, uh, that we can't blame anyone else for our problems, that we have to own our junk. We need to repent and say, I don't want to be that person or that, that girl or that woman or that man any longer. And then Troy talked about last week about this whole idea of humility, that we, be, we begin uh, with a posture of humility, of understanding that we have not come to be served but to serve and that we put other people among ourselves. But it's possible to go through repentance. It's possible to begin to practice humility and still be kind of stuck in our growth. And that there might be something that may be prohibiting us and preventing us from growing up to become those kind of people that God wants us to become. And that thing that might be preventing us and prohibiting us from growing up is this whole idea of unforgiveness. Okay? I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read verses 21 to 35. You can find that on page 695 in your Bible. Now, the whole context behind this whole story is that Jesus has been, has been talking about recon- reconciliation and relational integrity. The original scenario framing this entire discussion is verse 15, where Jesus says this, If your brother sins against you. Okay? This is what you're to do. And Jesus is painstakingly, you know, teaching that in the kingdom you do whatever is necessary to be reconciled with your brother and with your or with your sister. See, in the kingdom of God, people, not things, are the priority. And so relationships reflect that priority and Jesus is saying you do what it takes to be reconciled with another human beings human being you'll remember there was one time that Jesus was asked what is the most important commandment in the entire law of Moses and Jesus replied it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind 
And people asking the question said, okay, check, got that, thanks. And Jesus is like, wait a second, wait, I'm not done yet. And the second commandment is like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus is saying that loving God and loving our neighbor are inextricably connected to one another. We cannot adequately love God unless we're also loving our neighbor. And so in this passage, Peter, always wanting to get it right, comes to Jesus and he asks him this question. He says, exactly how many times am I to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? See, Jesus, or Peter here is thinking that he's being really, really generous. Because the generally accepted practice at the time taught by the teachers of the law and the Pharisees was that you had to forgive another person up to three times. It's like three strikes, then you're out. Okay? But Peter is saying, oh, I'm going way beyond the conventional wisdom. I'm going over double that, up to seven times? But Jesus is not impressed. And he answers in verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And if you look down at the footnote, some translators translate this 70 times 7. So you might be doing the math and you say, okay, so what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to forgive someone 77 times or 490 times? What's the number? That's not the point, is it? The point that Jesus is making is that we need to be ready and willing to forgive those who sin against us or who hurt us or harm us an unlimited number of times. And then, and then to make sure that we get the, the message, Jesus, like he always does, he begins to tell a story. And, uh, and he begins the story in verse 23. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, okay, this is what it's like in the kingdom of heaven, this is how, how it works, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he begins the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he sold and, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, when this guy owes the king an enormous debt, okay, I, I can almost guarantee you that when Jesus said that he owed the man 10,000 talents, like Jesus' audience probably laughed, okay, because a talent is worth 20 years' wages. Okay? 20 years wages. So if you're working today and you make 50 grand a year, 20 years wages is what? Like a million people, a million dollars, right? And he's, he owed how many? 10,000 of these. So he owes this guy billions of dollars. Okay? Jesus is saying there's a man who owes this king billions of dollars. Is there any way that this guy is ever going to repay that debt? No. There's no way he's ever, ever going to repay over several billion dollars of debt. By the way, this man represents every one of us here in this room. We owe a debt to an almighty God that we can never pay. There's no way that we could ever pay we have, we have accumulated and accumulated wrongdoings and sin in our hearts and our attitudes towards others. And every single day, we just accumulate more and more and more of this debt towards 
God. But the amazing thing is, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Verse 26, it says, The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Incredible. This gracious, kind, and benevolent master, he doesn't reduce the debt. He doesn't accept a payment plan. What he does is he absolves him completely of the debt, and he wipes it away. And he does a few things here that I think are absolutely necessary for each and every one of us to understand if we're going to be able to forgive another person. It says that he canceled the entire debt. in, In pity, he looks on the person, he cancels the debt, and then he lets him go. He lets him go. He releases him. He gives him back his freedom. Okay, one minute, this guy is like toast, a slave sold into bondage to pay back a debt he could never repay. And the next moment, he is completely free. He is liberated and he is let go and released to live his entire life. This is what God does to each and every one of us, to this mountain of sin debt that we have accrued against him. He cancels the debt. And he lets us go through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we believe in Jesus, that is exactly what God does to us. He cancels our debt and he lets us go. Okay. Now that, in and of itself, should change everything. But it, it, it doesn't change anything in this character's life. It says in the next verse that he went out and he found one of his fellow servants. It gives you the idea that he was kind of looking for someone. Okay? And, and it says that he went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay? There's some uh, discussion as to how much a hundred denarii is. It could be as little as just a few bucks up to maybe a ten grand or something like that. The, the issue is that not the exact amount of what this guy was owed... But the fact that it is minuscule, it is, it is microscopic in comparison to the debt that this guy was just forgiven by the king. Okay? And then in verse 28, it says, He went out, found one of his fellow servants. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. Verse 30 says, but he, what's the word say? Refused. He refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back his debt. This is essentially what unforgiveness looks like. The key word here is that he refused. Verse 30 Forgiveness, if forgiveness is this canceling of a debt and letting go of another person, it's a choice that we can make or we can refuse to make. Forgiveness at its heart is an act of the will. We can choose to let go or we can refuse. But don't, don't ever say, I can't forgive that person. Okay? 
Because forgiveness is an act of will. You can say, I won't forgive that person. But you cannot say, I can't forgive that person. Because forgiveness in its essence is an act of the will. And this guy chooses to refuse. He failed to realize that people of the kingdom, first and foremost, are forgiven people. And therefore, they then extend forgiveness to those who hurt and harm them. When we categorically refuse to forgive someone who sins against us or hurt us or betrayed us, and we utter those, these words, I'll never forgive him for what he did to me. And we hold on to this hurt and we nurse this grudge and we refuse to forgive and release that person. It's like we are grabbing them and choking them and demanding retribution from that person be paid in full. It's not a pretty picture. But the reality is that the whole time while we are choking them, unforgiveness is choking us. It's like the plaque that builds up in our veins and builds up and builds up and refuses to let the blood flow to our heart. Unforgiveness can be like a plaque in our life with God that slowly, slowly builds up and ultimately refuses to let the life of God flow into our lives. Jesus, in other teachings, seems to indicate that unforgiveness acts in a similar way. And it prevents the life and love of God from flowing into our heart. And ultimately, we cannot receive those good things that God would have for us. And we slowly die. Have you ever met a person harboring unforgiveness? They are not joyful people, by and large. They're not alive in the sense of what God wants them to be alive. See, we think... That we can choose to not forgive someone and we can contain it and we can compartmentalize it and we can say it's not going to affect the rest of our life. But unforgiveness is like a cancer in our lives. You can't contain it. You can't compartmentalize it. It seeps and it spreads into the rest of our lives. And a person who chooses to not forgive in one situation becomes an unforgiving person. And they become bitter and resentful and all the joy is slowly squeezed out of their life. And study after study has shown that unforgiveness eventually manifests itself in physical symptoms related to stress and bitterness and anger. Not only that, but people who refuse to forgive one person in an isolated instance, they actually end up becoming unforgiving people. And it influences your character and your life in all sorts of, in all sorts of relationships. We see, we think we, that we can contain unforgiveness in our lives and compartmentalize it, and that it won't forget, it won't impact the rest of our lives. But it does, and inevitably does. And so Jesus wants us to be free people. He wants us to be kingdom people, and he wants us to emulate our heavenly Father, who wants us, who also is forgiving and wants us to forgive. If you look at this verse in Colossians chapter three. It says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, so this is who we are. We are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. 
If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, Jesus is our, you know, model in all of this. In Jesus, God forgave us. And so he's saying, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Realize that you are people who have been absolved and forgiven of this huge debt that you could not repay. And so the logical response to all of this is to follow the model of Jesus and forgive. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Getting back to our story. In verse 31, it says, When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? And in anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. All that he owed. This is, in a sense, what it might look like if we are at one time hearing about and understanding the grace and forgiveness that God lavished on all of us in Jesus Christ, while at the same time walking around and categorically refusing to forgive those who have hurt us, who have wounded us, who have sinned against us. Jesus is saying, don't you get the irony of the story? This person was absolved a debt of billions of dollars and he goes off and makes a big stink about just a couple of thousand of dollars. He obviously didn't get it. And Jesus is saying this is exactly what it looks like when we are forgiven of a mountain of sin and debt and guilt against God that we could never pay off. And then we go off and make a big deal out of a comparatively petty offense or small hurts against us. The kingdom alternative to all this is to let another person go. See, it's, it's kind of like when someone has done something against us, when someone, someone has harmed us, when someone has wounded us, when we've been a victim in some way, it's like we accumulate a folder of condemning evidence against that person. And as, as long as we're holding on to the folder, that gives us the right to judge them. And to condemn them. And so we love the folder. We like holding on to the folder. As long as we have the folder in our hands, it gives us the right to point the finger at the person and say, you did this to me. And condemn them. But you know what? We were never meant to hold on to the folder. As long as we hold on to the folder, the folder is killing us. And, and Jesus is saying is that the only appropriate thing to do is to take the folder and take the right and responsibility to judge and condemn that person for whatever they've done, they've done to us and to hand it over to God and say, God, I don't want to hold on to this any longer. Would you please take this from me? Because... You are the perfect judge. You will do the right thing. And I am entrusting this person's future over to you. 
And the whole time I'm realizing that, God, you have a whole file cabinet of a folders against me of what I did to you. And you have thrown it away and burned it. So I am giving you this folder of this person. That is a picture of what forgiveness looks like. But some of us like to hold on to the folder. See, the folder gives us power. The folder gives us control. The folder, we think, gives us the right to condemn the other person. But the whole time, the folder is killing us. One person said... Uh, unforgiveness is like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. So, wouldn't you know it, it's finally getting to be spring outside. And whenever the snow starts melting and the, the rivers start flowing and stuff like that, I begin to think about our life that we had back in Siberia. Some, some of us who know me and my family, we lived... Uh, in Siberia for almost a decade. I know, the wrong, uh, you know, vacation spot, but it was on the itinerary. So, but we live there. Siberia is very interesting. It's, it's got some interesting geographical features. It's one of the only places in the world where rivers run north. Okay? Now that in and of itself is not really fascinating, but what happens in the spring is that what thaws first? The south, Right? Just like everything else. And so the rivers begin to thaw in the south first and they begin to flow north. And as they reach the north, the north is still cold. The north is, the rivers are still frozen. And so the mouths of the rivers emptying out in the sea are blocked by ice. And so the water can't get out. And every single spring in the middle of Siberia, you will see there are just these huge marshes and bogs of putrid and foul water that just is overflowing because these rivers just overflow their banks every single year because the water can't get out and can't be released. And I just think that that's a picture of unforgiveness is that when we refuse to forgive a person all this pain and all this hurt and all this bitterness and all this anger just gets bottled up inside of us and it's got nowhere to go. And one of the most common side effects of undealt with anger and resentment is depression. Because it just overflows at banks and we just have a soul that is like these putrid, foul marshes. Now one time, a few years ago, it got so bad in Russia that things melted so fast that uh, the Russian Air Force sent in MiG fighters to dive bomb the, the, the mouths of the rivers and drop bombs and blow up the mouths of the rivers so that all the water could finally get out because all these villages were in danger of being flooded. And so they actually bombed the rivers. And once they did that, guess what happened? All that foul, putrid water began to flow out into the ocean. And I just thought, that's exactly what happens when we choose to let go of the folder and say to God, I don't want to condemn this person anymore. Would you please take this folder from me? 
and I forgive them and I leave their future in your good hands. That's essentially what it looks like to forgive them. And once you do that, all the life and joy and peace that God has for us can begin to once again flow into our lives. We're dealing with a, a couple of situations in the last six months here, or I have been. They're fairly similar situations. In both situations, you have had you have adults that were harmed in very tragic ways when they were children. And in one situation, the person who is the victim has worked through, done the hard work of forgiving that person who perpetrated the crime against them. And that person is a member of our church, and she is today one of the most joyful people that I know. I just love seeing her because she's got this great smile. In the other situation, that person is not there. And they're not a member of our church. But they are still angry and resentful and their life is being choked right out from them because they're absolutely refusing to let go of that person and it's killing them. Jesus calls us as kingdom people to grow up and in order to do that, we need to learn to forgive. So, Whose folder have you been carrying around? Whose folder have you been holding on to and wanting to just have the power and control to condemn that person? Maybe it's your ex. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's someone else. But whatever it is, I can tell you that if you're not quite willing to release that folder over to the good hands of loving and gracious God, you will not ever fully grow up to become the people that God wants you to become. So maybe this week, you might want to take some time to make a list of the people in your life that you might need to forgive. In the recovery group that I'm a part of, one of the steps is that in order for us to fully come into recovery, and we're all in recovery whether you realize it or not, is that we have to make a list of all the people who have hurt and harmed us and systematically go through that list and forgive each and every one of them. If you were to make a list... Who would be on that list? My prayer for each and every one of us here today is that this week, by the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives, that God will give you the strength and the courage to make that list and work through it. And even if you have to, make a folder and say to God, Here it is. I don't 
want to carry this around anymore. And I let that person go. And I release them into your hands. And I forgive them. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? If hundreds of us this week could forgive our spouses or forgive people in our lives who have hurt us, who wounded us, we would see an unleashing of the kingdom of God in this body like we may have never, ever seen before. Let me pray for you. Father God, we recognize and we realize that we are the servant in the story. We have been forgiven of a mountain of debt against a holy God through the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, that truth in and of itself should change us and should change our attitudes towards others, but we have to recognize and and admit that it doesn't sometimes. We still hold on to grudges. We still hold on to resentment. We still hold on to bitterness and the right to judge those people who have hurt and harmed us. And so, Father, by your Holy Spirit this morning, I pray that you would convict, that you would guide, that you would reveal in people's lives if there's anyone that we have yet to forgive. That this week we would go off and we would spend time with you and we would ask you the question, God, I'm opening up my heart to you. I'm asking you to shine your spotlight on my life. I'm asking you to reveal to me who is that person? Who are those people who I may have yet to forgive? And I pray that you'd be kind and you'd be gracious to us. That you'd give us the, the power and the ability and the strength to let go of that folder that's killing us inside. Give over that, that file of evidence that we have and give it over to you and say, I don't want this responsibility anymore. I'm letting them go and I'm releasing them into your good and loving hands. Father, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us to do that and continue to do that day by day by day that your kingdom would come your will would be done in this body's life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.